church family. It's always wonderful to gather with the family of God and to sing songs of praise and to hear his word read and declared. It knows it does wonders to me when I gather with the church body and I hear everyone singing songs and praising him and giving him glory. I pray that it, it does the same for you. Pray you all had a blessed Christmas day. I know I did. We did with friends and family. We got to had a great time together and I pray your time was well as well. I have the distinct honor and pleasure of bringing God's word to you all this morning. And as we prepare to bring in a new year, some of us may be excited. Some of us may be dreading it. You lie somewhere in there. You're either looking forward or you're like, no. Right? You're either prepared and you're thinking, I'm ready for a new fresh start. You know what? 2023 wasn't that good to me, so I'm ready for 2024. Or maybe you're the opposite. 2023 was good for you, and you're like, I don't want 2024 to come. You don't like the unknown. You don't like not knowing what's going to happen. We know that it's going to be an interesting year. We have an election coming, and if it's anything like the last election we had, we know it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be interesting, right? But there's a lot of unknown, and the truth is that the unknown, it scares us a bit. Not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing if there's going to be any real change, big or small, not knowing that anything's going to change in our personal lives and in our work lives and our relationships. And so we go into a new year dreading the unknown, afraid of it, not sure what is going to happen. And despite all of that, despite the unknown, despite the difficulties of life, that will surely come in 2024. I'm here to tell you that if we have a proper understanding of who God is, if we have, in essence, good theology, then, then we can and we will remain steadfast. We will remain strong in the midst of the difficulties of life, in the midst of the unknown, of not knowing what's going to happen. We can stand tall and be sure if we have a good theology, if we have a good understanding of who our God is, which is why I wanted to spend our time today looking at Psalm 136, because it's a great psalm that, that tells us, it goes through exactly who God is. It's known as the great hallelujah psalm, if you will, or the great hallel for the Hebrew verb for praise, which is where we get our word hallelujah from. In these psalms, it's an exciting psalm. It tells us exactly who God is, which is why we read it a little differently today. We did a more of a call response because that's what Israel would have done when reading this psalm. They would have done it during their festivals or celebrations like Passover and Pentecost. They would have called in response, saying it to one another to remind one another of God's steadfast love for them. And that phrase is so prevalent in today's passage. His steadfast love endures forever. It happens in every single verse, 26 verses. So what is the steadfast love of God? It's one of the greatest promises that we as his people have. There's deep meaning in that phrase. The steadfast love endures forever. So much meaning that it's translated in so many different renditions when it comes to the English language. You have the ESV, which says his steadfast love endures forever. The Christian Standard Bible translates it. His faithful love endures forever. The NASB says God's love and kindness endures forever. The NIV simply says God's love endures forever. Or even the King James where it says God's mercy endures forever. And there's so much packed into this phrase of God's steadfast love. And I love the way Danny Aiken sums it up. When trying to get to the rich, to the grasp of what this means, he says, the Lord our God is faithful 
and his everlasting covenant love toward his people. And so when we see this here in the Psalms, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God's covenantal love towards his children and that we can be sure, we can be confident that it it will endure forever. And that's what the psalmist here is trying to do. He's trying to remind the people of Israel of God's steadfast, of his covenantal love towards them. And he does that by telling them who God is and what God has done. Which gets me to my main idea today, my big idea. We can be confident that God's steadfast love will endure forever because he is the faithful and true God. We can be confident that God's steadfast love will endure forever because he is the faithful and true God. So no matter what's happening, no matter where we are in life, we can stand with assurance and confidence that God's covenantal love for his people will endure because of who he is. Before I get started, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we humble ourselves on this last day in 2023, Father. Not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what the new year is going to bring for us, Father. We can still sit here and stand and, and sing songs of great praise and wonder and declare that all glory belongs to you because you are the God whose love never fails, Father. And we thank you for that, Lord. And so we pray that as we spend these next several moments diving into your word, dissecting it, looking to it, trying to figure out what it means for us, Father. We pray that you give us the hearts to understand and the minds to understand, to hear, Father, what you have for us, Lord. We pray that as we go into this new year, Lord, first and foremost, we are declaring your wondrous deeds to this world, Father. So help us, Lord, to focus Pray that you eliminate any distractions that we may have, Father. That we not be worried about what's going to happen later today, Lord, but we just be here listening to your word, proclaiming your truths, Father. Be with those who aren't with us today, Father. Those who are sick, may they get healthy, Father. Those who are traveling, we pray for traveling mercies, Father. Be with the church body this morning, Father. Help me to remember the words that you've given me, Lord. Help me to decrease and you increase, Lord, that I can give you all the glory, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be edifying to you, to your people. Amen. Point number one, you can be confident that God's steadfast love will endure forever because of who God is. As I mentioned earlier, we we need good theology because good theology, oftentimes, it's what's going to help us to persevere. It's going to what's going to be the thing that helps us endure in the midst of trials, in the midst of the unknown. When we're not sure what's going to happen, if we have a proper understanding of who God is, we can endure. Good theology would help us get through the unknown. And the thing with good theology is it starts with God. 
It starts with who God is and what his character is and what are his attributes. Good theology starts with God first. And then anything that we try to bring into that that's outside of who God is, we start to get away from good theology. When we try to bring into our experiences or our emotions or our feelings, our preferences or opinions, whatever it may be, when we try to bring those things into our understanding of who God is, we start to get off track with our theology. And so we need good theology, which is why the psalmist starts here with who God is. And he gives us two characteristics or or attributes of who God is. And there's many different characteristics and attributes of God, but he gives us two. First one is, he says that God is good. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He is pleasant. He is agreeable. For God to be good means that he's always acting in accordance with what is right. For God to be good means he's always acting in accordance with what is true. That's what it means for God to be good. It's God's goodness. It's a part of who he is. It's a part of his nature. And if you understand the scriptures, God cannot contradict his nature. So he's always Good For God to be good means that there is no evil in God. That means that his intentions are pure or good. That means that his motivations are always good. Whether we like what we're ha- what's happening, whether we agree what's happening, that doesn't matter because God is good. And so all of his intentions and all of his motivations are good. We cannot separate that from God. And so when he declares that God is good, what he's saying is that what is right, God's outcome is always right. That the outcome of his plan is always good. Whether we like the outcome or not does not matter because God is good. So Joseph, as he says in Genesis 50, 20, you know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God is always good. Or Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not because we're good. Not because we think we like what's happening, but simple. It's because of who God is. He is good. And because we can have the confidence in that. And knowing that all his ways, everything that he plans, everything that he's good, that he does is good. We know that his steadfast love endures forever. Second thing he tells us that he says, the psalmist tells us that God is sovereign. He says, give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. In verse 26 also, give thanks to the God of heaven. You can sum those three verses up saying that God is Sovereign. We can be confident. We can be sure that God's steadfast love, that his covenantal love towards his children will endure forever because he is the one true sovereign God. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? That means that he rules over everything, that he has the power and he has all the wisdom and all the authority to do as he pleases with his creation. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. So the fact that God is the one true most high God, the sovereign ruler, that he's in heaven and he does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115.3, that gives us confidence, that gives us comfort, that we can know for sure that no matter what life gives us, no matter how we may be feeling today or tomorrow, 
or in a week, we can have the assurance, the confidence that his steadfast love endures forever because of who God is. First Chronicles 29, 11, 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. And we find confidence that God is the one true God, the one sovereign God. And because of that, we have a source of comfort. Because of that truth of what the scripture speaks about God, we can have confidence that God's steadfast love will endure forever. Point number two we have. You can be confident that God's steadfast love will endure forever because of what God has done. What God has done. And we see, really, the the psalmist gives us four acts of God, if you will. Four things that God has done throughout history that helps us to see that his steadfast love endures forever. The first is that God is the creator of everything, verses 4 through 9. He he has done great wonders or, or mighty miracles, as the New Living Translation puts it. He created the heavens and the earth and everything in between them. And we know that according to our word, he does that simply by speaking. God spoke and the world came to be. Creation screams of how powerful and how great our God is. And creation reminds us that his steadfast love endures forever. He did so according to his wisdom. That's what verse 5 means when it says to him who by understanding made the heavens. It's according to his skill. According to God's wisdom, God created everything. He spread everything out into its place. He made the great lights, which are the sun and the moon and the stars, and he put them in their place. He is the creator of everything. And creation in itself, as I said, gives us evidence that our God is a powerful God a loving God whose steadfast love will endure forever. We can also look to creation and be made sure that God is active and he is working, that his steadfast love endures forever because he holds creation together. He keeps it from falling apart. We can turn to Colossians 3 and see this Colossians 1 and see this beautiful truth that Paul writes in verses 16 through 17 when he writes, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The sun and the moon and the stars, they are in their place because the God of this universe holds them together. And it is this God that we can be for sure and know with utter confidence that his steadfast love endures forever because we can look into creation and see that it's not going all crazy, that everything is still the way he made it, that he is actively holding it together because of his love for his covenantal people. So we can stand with utter confidence because of what God has done, his creation. The other act that the psalmist talks about is that God has redeemed his people, verses 10 through 15, speaking about Israel and their deliverance from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And he mentions specifically the 10th plague, which is probably the worst plague of all of killing the firstborns. We can see that even while Israel was in captivity, 
even while they were in slavery, not living their best life, God's love for them still did not waver. He still sent Moses. He still sent them 10 plagues and he still delivered them while they were in captivity. So even though we may feel like life isn't going the way we want to, maybe life is really hard for you right now and you're like, I don't feel like God's love for me right now. I don't feel like he loves me right now. Imagine what Israel felt in slavery, in captivity, but he did not forget them. He delivered them. He, he redeemed them. It's crucial for us to understand that God's love for us is not circumstantial. It's not based on our emotions. It's not based whether we read this morning or prayed this morning. God's love for us is based on who he is, not on us. And so he brings them out of slavery. He delivers them to freedom by his divine power. Look at the active role that God takes in the deliverance of Egypt. He's the one who struck down the firstborn. He brought Israel out from among them. It was with his strong hand and his outstretched arm that he delivered them. It was God who divided the Red Sea, who made Israel pass through it, and who overthrew Pharaoh and his host. God has took an active role in his love for his people. And it did not matter how they, what they were doing. It did not matter how they felt. God's love for them will endure forever. And it was evident in their deliverance from captivity. The other thing we see God did is he leads his people through the wilderness, in moments where we don't know what's going to happen, he leads us through this. Verse 16, to him who led his people through the wilderness. This wasn't a fun time. This wasn't a weekend trip into the wilderness. They're there for 40 years, right? They're going through. There's a lot of good and a lot of bad that happens to Israel through their wilderness. Yet God leads them through it. He guides them through this whole time. He gives them manna. He gives them water from the rock. He leads them. He's taking this active role, and he's leading them to the promise. The fourth thing that God does that we see in here is that he blesses them. God blessed his people, verses 17 through 22. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. It was the God of the universe, their God, who did all of this. We read of this in in Numbers 21 of of Sion refusing to let Israel pass through. Moses goes to King Sion, and and he says, if you just let us walk through the king's highway. We're not going to go into your fields. We won't eat from your land. We won't take from your vineyard. Just let us through and we won't bother you. He refuses and he attacks Israel. And as we see, as the psalmist tells us, he was struck down and this mighty king was killed. And after delivering them from his enemies, God then delivers their land to Israel. He's the God who blesses them. And the psalmist is reminding them of all that God has done. He also mentions King Og of of Bashan and and how he came out without unprovoked, just comes out and decides to attack Israel. Right? And we know that King Og was a great king and and this his 
His town was a great town. They had over 60 fortified cities. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, that he was really the, the last descendants of the Rephaims. So he was a giant king. He was a huge man, a strong man. This army was well-trained and experienced. And what does God tell Moses in Numbers 21, 34? The Lord said to Moses, do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land. And God did exactly what he said he would. He gave Israel the land that he had promised them. We can be confident that God's steadfast love will endure because of what God has done. All of history, all of the scriptures helps us to see that God's steadfast love will endure. Even in the midst of hardship, even when we have attacks and we're uncertain of what's going to happen and we got big choices to make and we're trying to make the best choice that we can, we can stand with confidence that God's love will endure forever because what God has done. Point number three, you can be confident that God's love, steadfast love will endure forever because God remembers his people and cares for them. What a great what what a great truth there to know that no matter what we have going on in life, whether we feel we might have been forgotten, the scripture tells us that God remembers us even in our low estate. Even in our humiliation is another way to translate that. He remembers us. He sees us. And he cares for us, right? He rescues his foes, us from our foes. He gives us the food that we all need. God sees us, he remembers us, and he cares for us. And we can be confident in that because his steadfast love endures forever. And the psalmist is just declaring this truth. I'm not sure if he has specific moments in mind, but we know that this is true, that he remembers his people and that he saves them from his foe. You just got to read the book of Judges, right? And, and it's filled with instances after instances after instances where Israel disregards God, yet he delivers them from their foes despite their shortcomings. Time and time again, he chooses to remember Perhaps the greatest thing that Israel ever had was in Exodus 6, 5, where God says, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. God remembers his children, and he rescues them. And so the psalmist, what he's doing, he's just simply declaring here that in times of distress, God remembers us and he rescues us. In time when they were in captivity, in their exodus, God remembers them and rescues them. He's assuring them that when they will come back and, and be brought back from exile, be restored from exile, he will remember them, he will rescue them, and he will provide for them. God remembers the covenant he has made with his people. And what a great reminder it is for us to, to know and to understand that in our lowest estate, when we feel unworthy, when people around us might be telling us we're undeserving, God remembers us. And because of that, we can stand with sure confidence 
that his steadfast love endures forever because of who God is, what he's done. And he tells us in this word that he remembers us. So we can have that confidence as we go into this new year, not knowing what's going to happen. We can say for sure that God's steadfast love will endure forever because not of us, but because of who God is. And he will rescue his children. And as I close to the non-believer here, we're listening to those people who have not put their trust in the work of Christ. My, cost, my, my word of advice to you, I want you to think through, is do not mistake God's common grace in your life for his covenantal love for his people. Do not mistake God's common grace. Do not mistake the fact that you got air in your lungs, you got a shirt on your back, you got food on the table, you got a car, you got a home, you got a job. Do not mistake that common grace that is for everyone for God's covenantal love for his children. It's a special love that God has just for those who've put their faith and trust in the works of Christ. And if you have not done that, then you are, as the scripture tells us, an enemy of God. And God will deal with his enemies accordingly. So do not mistake God's covenant to love. That is reserved for his children. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are an enemy of God and you are destined, destined to have the wrath of God poured over you. And you may ask, why? What did I do? I got, life is good. I'm a good person. What have I done? And the answer to that question is really simple. You are a sinner. You and I and everyone in this room, everyone who's ever walked this earth is a sinner. We've all fallen way, way short of the standard of God. Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned. Not a single person in here listening can say, I've never sinned. And when we sin, we become enemies of God, and the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. So the only answer to your sin is the Lord Jesus Christ, is that second person of the Trinity who came into this world through the virgin birth in the form of a baby, as we've been celebrating over the past several weeks, who took himself our humanity, who was truly God and truly man, and that's a mystery, and that's okay. We don't need to know all the answers. And it says, scripture tells us that he was tempted like us. He was tempted with power, right? When he's in the desert, that's what Satan is tempting with. You can have all of this if you want it. It's all yours. He was tempted with food. He, he felt hungry. He, he was hungry just like we are. He faced suffering just like we do, right? He grieved the loss of, of friends. He felt pain. We experience these same things that God, that Jesus experienced when we sin. Yet he experienced them, he was tempted with them, and he never sinned. He was truly perfect, truly sinless. And that is why he is the only one who can pay for our sins. That man who was truly sinless, truly perfect, then willingly went to the cross. He was beaten and he was crushed for your shortcomings, for our shortcomings. He was, his blood was shed for your failings, for our sins. And ultimately, he died because you and I sinned. 
Those are the things that held him to the cross. And it is through his death on the cross that we know we can have the forgiveness of sins. That's the only way. Blood had to be shed, and he shed his blood so that we can have the forgiveness of sins. But he didn't just end there. He, as we know, he rose again three days later, and it is through his resurrection that we now have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And to whoever who puts their faith and their trust in that, in his works, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, they will have the forgiveness of sins and they will get to spend the rest of eternity with God in heaven because of who they put their trust in, not because of what they've done, but because of God and what he's done. And that is available to everyone and everyone. And maybe you're, you're still struggling with that. Maybe there are some things you're not sure about and you, you have some questions about this thing called the Bible or God. And Wes and I and anyone who was up here, we would love to talk to you about what that means. We would love to answer any of those questions you may have, any of those skepticisms you may have. But let's have that conversation first. Let's speak. Let us talk in dialogue. Reach out. You, our numbers are on our website or on the email. We would love to go out over lunch, breakfast, whatever works for you, and have that conversation about what it means to put your faith and trust in the works of Christ. But don't let another day go by where you're not having those conversations. To my brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we go into this new year, as you face the unknown of, of what 2024 may bring, my challenge to you, my, 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 my encouragement is simple. Commit this phrase to memory. May this be the cry of your heart. May this be what you continue to tell yourself. Write it down. Put it on your car. Repeat it. Memorize it. Have it on sticky notes on your windows. Put a tattoo on I don't care. Just remember this phrase this year, that God's steadfast love endures forever. So that when you are going through life, when things do happen, because they will, I'm not going to sit here and tell you things won't happen. You will face despair. You remind yourself that God's steadfast love endures forever. That no matter what I'm going through, no matter what happens, I can be sure of this one thing. That God's steadfast love endures forever. Things are not going to go the way you want. It's not necessarily mean they're bad. It's just not the way you want. God's steadfast love endures forever. You may go through a job change, a job loss. God's steadfast love endures forever. You may lose friends or relationships. Things will happen, but God's steadfast love endures forever. And remember that throughout this year as things come our way. Because our God does not change. He cannot change. And we find comfort in that. So when life is confusing, when life is crazy and things are out of our control, remind yourself who God is, what God has done, that he remembers his covenantal people, and that his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the simple truth, yet it's the truth that will get us through the hardest moments in life, that your steadfast love endures forever. And we can stand with confidence, we can stand with assurance, we can say this in the midst of whatever is happening in life because of who you are.
You are perfect. You are holy. You are good, God. And we know that you do not change. So the same love you had for us at the moment of our salvation is the same moment you have for us now. It's the same love you have for us in 15, 20 years because your steadfast love endures forever. May that be the cry of our hearts this year. May we remember that when things don't go the way we planned them. Help us to bring this truth to mind in moments of struggle and despair. Give us your wisdom, give us your understanding, and give us your love, Father. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And his people said, Amen. Amen.